and I believe you have, and this is Emma, everyone. Okay, the first reading for today is from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And the second reading is from Isaiah, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Thank you. So, I have actually something very important to talk to you about today. So you are the lucky people that get to hear this very important thing. And it's especially important if you're going to go to college or you've been in college. Or if you have a brain and use your brain. That could apply to almost everyone in the room. Almost everyone in the room. Hopefully everyone. <laughs> Our American experience is full of myths. Myths that a lot of people perpetuate who don't even believe what they're perpetuating. This is especially true at Christmas, is it not? 
If you don't know of what I speak, I refer to the man in the red suit. Our society is full of myths. Now, myths, myths are either traditional or made-up stories whose origins or uh, basis in fact is dubious. That's a $9 college word for basically saying it's a story about something that probably never really happened. Okay? And it's our, our society's full of them. Often we substitute the word legend for myth. For example, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. The legend of Zorro. The legend of the guardians of the owls of Gahoo. And they made a movie in 2010 that like nobody saw. <laughs> How many of you saw the movie The Legends? One, two, three. Three of you saw the movie. <laughs> and even today, that is not a majority. <laughs> okay? The Legend of Zelda. She only exists at Comic-Con events. Okay? In U.S. history, we have a very famous, we have a very famous and loved legend about George Washington cutting down his father's cherry tree. So the legend goes that when George Washington was six years old, he was given a hatchet. And as any six-year-old boy would do who was given a hatchet, he started hacking everything. He hacked the books. He hacked the table. He went outside and he hacked and hacked and hacked and cut down his father's prized cherry tree. And when his dad confronted poor little George, George said, what? I cannot tell a lie, Father. It was I who cut down your cherry tree with my hatchet. Here's the problem with that story. It was actually made up by a man named Parson Weems, who invented the story 10 years after George Washington's death and put it in a little book that he had published on moral lessons. And this particular lesson was on honesty. And the story became so well-loved and retold that eventually Americans just started believing that George Washington cut down a cherry tree. But if you talk to any real historian, they will smile and say, well, that probably didn't happen. It's a great story, though. <laughs> okay? At Christmas, at Christmas, there are people in this country who sing carols who put out nativity sets in their homes, who decorate Christmas trees, who go to Christmas parties, who don ugly Christmas sweaters, who do not believe a lick of anything about Christmas, especially Jesus or the nativity stories. And there are others in America who wonder. They're not sure what to think. And on the inside, they're asking questions. Is this, I mean... Is any of this stuff true? I mean, does it make any sense? And I got to be honest, I don't blame them. I don't, because I've wondered myself. Let's just take two parts of the nativity story, all right? Two parts. Wise men following a star. It's on the bumper, bumpers of real deal Christians everywhere, right? Wise men still seek him. And you look at that and you go, man, there's somebody that loves the Lord driving that car. So what's the thing about the wise men, right? The wise men follow a star. 
Have, let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to follow a star? I grew up in Indiana where in, at a time when there was nothing to do. And when the sun set, there was really nothing to do but literally look up in the sky and watch the stars move. I've got news for you in case you believe the earth is flat. It's not. We're on a spinning ball. It rotates on its axis. And the billions of stars, our field of view, follows a similar predictive path each and every night. There's not one star going one direction while the rest of the star field goes another direction. It doesn't work that way. Have you ever wondered how that worked? Or born of a virgin. I've been married now 24 years. I know where babies come from. I do not need a book. I do not need diagrams. I know. I know. How does that work? So, I mean, there are real honest questions. And if you've been to college or are going to go to college, places like Berea, Transylvania, the University of Kentucky, God forbid, Ohio State University. Oh, fine. The Ohio State University. It only has a definite article because of the marching band. Or Harvard or some other place that you really can't afford anyway. You're going to go in a class and, and some well-intentioned professor who is just out to debunk anything that you believed in the faith is going to start talking about these other things from history that feature stars and virgin births. Did you know, for example, that Augustus Caesar, years after he was born, years after he died, stories, be, it became part of the legend of Caesar that a star appeared announcing his birth. Some uh, Caesar's uh, people, uh, fans of the Caesar cult, invent, came up with a story that he was born of a virgin. You'll hear that stuff in college and you'll go, oh, I've heard that before of someone else. And you'll think, oh my goodness, because they're similar. Oh, and you'll panic. Now, uh, one little caveat about Caesar and Jesus, a.k.a. Andy Stanley and Dr. Julius Scott, the stories about Caesar circulated well after he was famous and well after all the people who had anything to do with Caesar and his birth were long gone and dead. A good number of the stories and accounts about Jesus' birth were cemented long before anybody knew Jesus would become somebody. At the time, it was just this little sect of Judaism that kept getting kicked around and persecuted and bumped here and there. And the other thing is, these stories circulated at a time when some, some of the key players, like Mary, for example, were still around. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, if people were circulating this stuff about the virgin birth and I were Mary, and that wasn't the case, you know, I'm pretty sure that I would have the attitude of, hey, I think it's awesome that you think Jesus is all that. And trust me, I think he's somebody, but I just got to tell you, I was there. (laughs) Let me explain how this went down. And so this is a little caveat. But if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered whether the stuff about Jesus' birth is more legend than fact, today is for you. Today's for you. We're going to look at the very first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. And these verses tell us something very important about the Gospel of Luke, and especially about the birth narratives. And so if you'll put up my bottom line today, it's real simple. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get this. It's okay to wonder 
but there's good reason to hope, and it will appear magically behind me at some point. With a sneeze. Achoo! It's, it's okay to wonder, but there's good reason to hope. So if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Luke was written in the first century. I think it was written in the 60s, somewhere in there. Some scholars think it was written as late as 72 or 75 AD, but that's roughly when it was kind of written down. 60s, 70s, okay? Uh, It's called a gospel, and a gospel is simply an account of the life of Jesus. There are several gospels. We have four of them in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are actually other Gospels, believe it or not, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter. There are a number of things that didn't make it into the Bible because in the opinion of people of that time and shortly after that time, it didn't pass the muster test of credibility. Um, and so, but we've got four of them. There were, so there were lots of stories and accounts of Jesus' life that started circulating in the first century. We know that Luke was not Jewish, he, wasn't, he didn't come from a Jewish family. He didn't come from that background. But he was an early follower of Jesus. And Luke was educated and smart. Some people think he was a doctor. That's because of a reference about him in Colossians. But I know he was smart because I know a little bit about Greek. Okay, so I took Greek 20-some years ago from Dr. Hawthorne. I love him. He was awesome. He would basically, anytime he was quoting scripture in the Greek or any other translation, he would do it from memory. And then when he wanted to share his feelings with you, he would read from a three-by-five card. It was, I know, it was so adorable. Because uh, <laughs> I could identify like so. <laughs> okay. So, so I, today, 20-some years later, having not really kept up with my Greek, I can open the Gospel of John and I can read it. First, second, and third, John, I can walk through that like no problem. Luke, I need my dictionary, my linguistic key. I need like five other things because he uses big hard words and declensions that aren't supposed to exist. And oh, it's overwhelming. The guy was smart. He used words like poemic. I mean, who says that ever? Okay, nobody. All right, so Luke was a smart guy. And he's writing to this na- man named Theophilus, who was a friend of his and also a follower of Jesus. Theophilus lived at a time when lots of stories about Jesus were circulating. And Theophilus is wanting to know, hey, hey, Luke, did this happen or did this not happen? I mean, and I've heard some people say this about Jesus. Is, I mean, is that how it went down or did it go down differently? Like, I want to know what really took place. How did this thing play out? And so Luke pens this gospel for his friend and others. And that's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many people, he says, have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, in this section are a couple of those hard Greek words. I know. Diagesis. 
an oral or written narrative. When I got out my little linguistic key that I had to use because I was like, what is diagesis? I don't remember that word. Um, this is what my key said. A, a narrative that has been verified or is well witnessed. So that's what he's pinning here. Uh, another word that he uses in this string of phrases is literally set one's hand to. And that's this phrase here, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Um, epicarison, epicarison. And it has, the, it has the implied part that he's using written sources. So some of the things that he's using here have already been written down. So Luke's sources are rooted in something. Notice this word here. That's important, isn't it? Eyewitnesses. I mean, he, he could have used any kind of word to describe what he's doing to write this gospel, and he chooses that word, eyewitnesses. And he says these are eyewitnesses who are... Uh, they use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Um, there's a word that doesn't appear in this translation that has to do with they were servants of the word. In other words, they not just... These weren't people who just saw what happened. Because of what they saw, they actually believed. And so for Luke, they, they come from those two places. There's four things that I want you to get from these four verses. And I've actually got some slides to kind of draw this out. The first thing I want you to get is this investigated phrase, having carefully investigated. Right? Four things from four verses. Luke investigated the story. He investigated the story. If you're not familiar with a man named Jim Wallace, you probably should be. He's the guy that appears on Dateline NBC. Anytime they have a murder that's like 20 years old and nobody could solve, and they bring him in, and he, through his research and investigation, will eventually get to the murderer. And at the end of the Dateline NBC special, you find out who really did it 20-some years later. Well, on the side, Jim happens to be a believer. And on the side, he started taking that same skill set he uses to investigate as an investigative detective to the stuff surrounding Jesus, the sources surrounding Jesus. And one of the more interesting conclusions he comes to is he says, you know, you do this for a long time, you get a sense for what an eyewitness account feels like. You just know. You're, you were there, you saw something. He says, the one thing I learned quick is that there are variances. They don't always line up perfectly because that's how people are. That's how eyewitness accounts play out. He says, when I go to a murder investigation and I find 10 people and they all tell me exactly the same thing, I know something's wrong. And he says, so I took all these tools I've been learning and I took it to the gospel council. You know, what I, you know what I discovered? This stuff is rooted in eyewitness testimony. It's got all the right smells and it's got all the right ingredients that I use as a detective. And it's in these ancient sources from 2,000 years ago. It's weird, okay? But Luke investigated the story. The second thing is that Luke went back to the beginning. And so he includes this long thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of their son, John the Baptist, because the birth of John the Baptist is connected to the birth of Jesus. And, and the other thing is that Luke studied everything. 
And that's the third point. Luke studied everything. So any source, any story, anything that was circulating, he put his hand to it. He kicked it around. He investigated. Does this really, you know, did this happen? Did this happen this way? What is Peter, what do these other people say? What does John say? How do I access this? Uh, a number of historians believe that Luke prob- might have had the opportunity to even question Mary, who might have still been living, right? So there's those kinds of things that are part of this. And so he's wanting to say, yes, this happened. This is credible. You need to know that. And in his gospel, 30% of, roughly 30% of what you read in his gospel, you won't find in the others. Because in his, in his mind, here's some things that really happened that no one else is highlighting. Theophilus You need to know Jesus did this. Jesus said this, roughly this way. I want you to know this is really important. And then the last thing is that Luke worked carefully. Because he wants Theophilus, it's at the end of this four verses, I want you to be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Let me ask you a question. Does that to you sound like the stuff, the circumstances of myth and legend? These words here, investigated, beginning, everything, carefully. Is that the kind of stuff that typically results in the legend of Zorro? One of the things that we have in 2014 is that we have a tendency to look at people who lived 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago as basically being stupid because we buy into this notion that people are just getting smarter and smarter and better and better as history progresses. But can I let you in on a little secret? People in the first century knew the difference between fiction and history. They did. Believe it or not, they weren't just skipping along. You know, they, they really didn't know the difference. I know, some of you are scarred for life now. <laughs> okay, They really did know the difference between myth and fact. And Luke, in this account of the life of Jesus, is rooting this in eyewitness testimony that he's carefully investigated, that he's done the legwork to kind of sort out. This happened, this didn't. This is credible, that's not. And what Luke is wanting Theophilus and anyone else who reads this gospel to know is, listen, I'm telling you, this Jesus is somebody. In fact, I'm convinced he's the son of God. Here's what I've got. Make up your mind. Read this. Figure this out. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and for those of you that are Asbury students, this is free. I know you have to have a quote from C.S. Lewis at least once a week in chapel, so this is your C.S. Lewis quote of the week, right? You can tell your profs you got one in church, and it was extra, right? C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, a man who is merely a man and who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, In other words, if you actually read Luke's account and see what Jesus is claiming about himself, you don't walk away and go, man, that guy is like Gandhi. You walk away and you go, that guy is deluded. He is a nut job. I mean, okay, or or he's really who he says he is, okay? It's it's one or the other, and Lewis concludes this way. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, 
which any man who says he's a poached egg is kind of crazy, right? Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice, says Lewis. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. So for those of you who have ever wondered, I want you to know this morning, it's okay to wonder. It really is. It is okay to wonder. But today I want to suggest to you that there might be good reason to hope in Jesus. There might be good reason to hope in God because of what Jesus Christ has done and because of who Jesus is. And to piggyback on what I talked about last week, Christmas isn't just a commemoration of a past event. We talked about this last week, remember? D-Day is an opportunity for all Americans to go, yeah, way back in June, whatever, 1944, we stormed the beaches of Normandy. Those were brave guys, okay? Christmas isn't that. Christmas isn't just an opportunity for Christians to go long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, okay? Christmas is something that happened, okay? Clearly, something happened 2,000 years ago. Have you seen some nativity sets out? Yes. Have you seen some nativity sets out? Clearly, Jesus came. We also know that because of our calendar. This is the year 2014 in the in the year of our Lord. Okay, So he's literally split history in half for a good chunk of the world. Okay, So clearly, something happened. Jesus came. We know this. Boom. It's evidence. I would submit to you there's evidence that he's here today. So Christmas isn't just a past event. It's a promise that's going now. You see it when people are reconciled. You see it when Christians serve the hungry in the name of Jesus and do those kinds of things in the name of Jesus. Jesus is present. You see it in the activity of people all around the world who do amazing things. They want to stop sex trafficking in the name of Jesus. They want to, I mean, that's because of Jesus and his movement in his church today. And then the other thing about it is that Christmas is a promise. See, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So it's not just that he came. It's not just that he's here. It's he's coming back. And so Christmas isn't just some commemoration of something a long time ago. It's a promise rooted in a hope that isn't entirely crazy to hope. So, again, it's okay to wonder but I just want to suggest to you today that maybe, just maybe, because of the way Luke wrote what he wrote in here, you've got some good reason to put some confidence in Jesus. Okay? So, is just, just out of curiosity, do you have good reason to put your hope in God? Yes. Do you have good reason to put your hope in God? Yes. I just wanted to know, I now feel comfortable releasing you into the wild. <laughs>